Hey, everybody. Welcome to Roger and Me, a twice-weekly podcast where we celebrate Roger Ebert uh, and his unique brand of film criticism, aiming to keep it alive via, every Tuesday, a rewatch of his seminal television program, Siskel and Ebert, and all its iterations. And every Friday, Mark Dusick and I gather, and we tell you all about every new release that is available to see in a theater, and sometimes they're available to stream, sometimes they're available to rent on VOD, but that's what we do here. It's called Roger, Ebert, and me, and uh, you're subbing in for your Ebert-type film critics this week are me and Mark Dusick, as always. Happy to have Mark back, the hardest uh, working man in the business, as we all like to call him. And I, I, yeah, that's how I branded myself. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I must have like incepted myself because I, I said so. that without think, without noticing that was your Twitter profile. <laughs> oh, and that's I even, even better. I even had like a moment where I'm like, did I inspire Mark's Twitter bio by no, saying this no. incredible compliment to him? And I it was appreciate like, it now. <laughs> yeah, it was like, nope, we both just, it's, it's noticeable. You, you'd work very hard. And you get all the movies reviewed. And as someone who has committed to doing all of them, but also like I didn't see an anime last week. And there's definitely like stuff I would say is like sub needing to be covered on this show. Like a, like uh, I don't even know, like straight to video actioners that you watch a few weeks ago that I didn't. Uh, but for the most part, I will try to cover everything that's theatrical and within reason for me to get a screener for. Yeah, next week, uh, I think you're going to find out the limit of that because there's a lot. Yes, I'm about to find out the limit of my access next week. Stick along, stick with us, and you'll see how many things I can possibly review next week. I've seen like the main big ones, but yeah. there's a lot. Uh, but again, it's also a conundrum because there's also in another for most people, they would say nothing's coming out next week because exactly, are, yeah, yeah, they're very yeah. limited releases. So we'll cover as much as we can. And if I can't, hopefully Mark will be here and uh, can tell you about the stuff I haven't seen. But for this week, we've got six movies on the menu, I believe. We've got a couple high-profile ones. I would say that those are Beast, which is a universal picture. It's a wide release starring Idris Elba. We've got Orphan First Kill, which to me is a high-profile prestige picture. But Paramount is shunting it to Paramount+. Plus, Though, it is getting a wider-than-expected release. And by that, it's like only 500 theaters, but they're spread out. And check your local listings. You can probably see Orphan First Kill in a theater this weekend. Uh, it's playing kind of everywhere. So we're talking about those two and a lot of indies, including The Immaculate's Room, Spin Me Round, The Drover's Wife, uh, The Legend of Molly Johnson. That's all one title there. The Territory, a documentary, and another documentary called Three Minutes, A Lengthening. And because um, we're very good at production here on the show... We're going to keep you enticed. We're going to talk about Orphan at the end. We're going to talk about Beast at the beginning. And you have to suffer through all those indies in the middle before you get there. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, we're back in the basement. I've got a freshly shaved head. I'm trying to reach singularity between Mark and I. And we're going to be <laughs> yes. we're going to be yeah. one one film critic by the end of the show because we already have the same opinions, it appears, on everything. Yeah. So by the end of the show, who knows how many hosts we'll have. But every week, I'm trying to throw out a new fake title. Last week, it was Dusick and Arnold. This week, my new fake title that I think is maybe a better title than Roger and me. See it, stream it, 
or skip it. Those are my new designations. Will it replace oh, the boy. the patented Roger Ebert thumb review rating system? Probably not, because I like it it's, and it's fun. But yeah. uh, that's a f- dumb fake title. Let's see if it sticks. See it, we'll figure it out. Stream one. it or skip it. I'm just going to keep throwing out ones every week, and maybe one will be better. One will stick, and it'll be Roger Ebert presents. Roger <laughs> Ebert and me presents. Yes, you're right. Yes, it will absolutely include that. I wanted to give a shout out to Banshee Beat for the theme song. As always, I sometimes forget, but you, I don't forget in my heart, and I hope that means something. Um, shout out to Banshee Beat for the theme, and also shout out to Alien Ant Farm, who did not give me permission or anything. But it's, uh, this is fair use, baby. So I just wanted to shout out, if you're wondering, what's that song that ends the show now that is about movies? It's the song called Movies by Alien Hand Farm, the band famous for covering that Michael Jackson song. All right, we've spent enough time on my bullshit. Let's talk about the movies. Let's jump right into Beast. And then, Mark, when we get back from the trailer, I'm going I'm to let you loose. And you could tell okay. me all about Beast. All right, there we here go. we go. There's something crossing up ahead. <laughs> Keep the girls in the car. Stay in the car. Okay, just stay in the car. Right. Diaboro. Diaboro. Okay, what's he saying? Diaboro means devil. I've never seen anything like this. Multiple attacks without eating his prey. Lions don't do that. At least no lion I've ever seen. Shh. Go back to the girls. I wonder how that that clip translated to the audio feed. You'll have to let us know. Was it riveting? Was it as engaging as it was visually? Let us know. All right, Mark. It probably sounded pretty good. <laughs> it probably sounded I pretty mean, cool. <laughs> I think you get a clear idea of what's you going on. You get a clear there. idea. You don't get the the cool long takey action that uh is in the trailer. But uh here I we mean, go, that's, Mark. That's a good place to start with it. There's a it lot is. of there's a lot of one takes in this, and I was not expecting that. I was not expecting Beast to be as technically proficient and efficient as it is. Um, there's some legitimate technique going on here that I really didn't expect from Idris Elba fights a giant lion. Um, I was not expecting that at all. I also wasn't expecting that a good portion of the first part of the movie, you get the, you know, get the tease with the lion right at the beginning. There's some poachers that kill the lion's pride and this lion is either not there or gets away and then kills off a good number of the poachers. And that's your little tease. And then the rest of the introduction is just Idris Elba's character. He's a doctor from New York City um, whose wife has died recently of cancer. He and his wife were separated. And then his two daughters, um, who are played by Yana Haley and Leah Jeffries. And they have come to Africa to where their mother um, came from originally to just spend some time there getting to grieve and become reacquainted because you know elba's dad he was out of the picture for a while because yeah. the couple was separated i was not expecting those relationships to be as well thought out and feel as real as they do in this um and then you have charlotte copley playing um the father's friend the mother's best friend from when they were growing up and he's going to take them out on a safari and you start to realize like okay, there's there's some real character work going on here. 
And so when the lion does eventually show up after a couple of really good long takes where they're walking through this village where everyone's been slaughtered by an unknown thing. Um, and you, that, that, that suspense from just watching these characters and having this limited perspective of what they're seeing and what they're doing and not knowing when is it going to either cut or yes. when is this, because you're expecting something to happen when the lion is going to show up, there's going to be some kind of rapid cut away from it so that you have that shock value. Right. Um, but thankfully like, yeah, there are shots. That doesn't where the happen. Lion, yeah, the lion like will be lurking in the back of the yeah. shot, and you won't even yeah. like the characters won't even know. But you, the, the viewer, because of that perspective, will know. And it's like it's it's suspenseful in a different way, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was not I was not anticipating it at all. It's like you know you just you walk into these you know monster movies basically knowing what you're gonna get. It's like you get the you get the teaser with the lion, and then you get some characters showing up at some exotic place and you know, not knowing what they're gonna get into and all that. But that it takes its time with these characters so that you feel like you care about whether or not they get through this and you care about what they learn along the way, which is a weird thing to say from an attacking line, but they do, you know, learn to get closer and to count on each other yes. and to trust each other. The movie and... definitely underlines the theme at the very end. Like, yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, the movie's very much drawing a parallel between the lion protecting its family and Idris Elba protecting his family. Yeah. And it, it does a pretty graceful job. I would say, you know, I didn't know if I needed the button on it, but I, you know, it's a mainstream picture. You can't be mad at it for, for laying all the cards on the table. Um, I agree with you. It seems like you like this movie. Am I wrong? I did. I did. Yeah, I liked it. Like and way more I'm, than you thought you were going to. Way more than, yeah, probably I thought so. I mean, I try to go into every movie without any expectations. Sure. But, you know, you have that opening scene with the poachers and you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. And then... You know, they they have the time with those characters and you're thinking like, okay, I kind of like hanging out with these three and then Charlotte Copley's character comes in like these yeah. four and seeing what they're what makes them tick and everything. And then the lion coming in and the lion stuff working is just a nice added bonus. Yeah. I mean the movie's like ninety-three minutes. It it it's quick and clean and it's efficient and it's pretty gripping when it needs to be. The the caveat for me which is so unfair to Beast, is that, to me, it's like we talked about last week. It's like hashtag survival horror summer over here. We're mm -hmm. getting all these survival thrillers, one after the other. And um, Fall, to me, which came out last week, is a similar vein of movie that wants to get your blood pumping, you know, and like in that very specific survival horror way. Like, put yourself in the, in your, in the boots of the characters and really get yourself scared, right? And I just think it's so unfair, and I'm, I'm prefacing it by saying that. So hopefully that makes it a f fairer of a criticism. But like, it pales a little bit in comparison to Fall for me. Maybe just because of my fear of heights and like that movie just specifically dialing into me uh, and, and working for me. And uh, putting all that aside, if I'm judging just Beast as like a movie you should go see in a theater, yes or no? Absolutely yes. 100% yes. This is like a B movie made at the studio level. Still pretty cheaply, but like it's pretty impressive what they get away with in terms of CGI. The, the lion doesn't look like noticeably bad. I mean, mm -hmm. it's clearly a CGI creation, but of course it is. Um, yeah. I would say as far as the movie goes, 
Um, the script is pretty bare. But I mean, you're right. The character work is pretty great. But where I think why I think Fall really did it for me more so than this one is Fall has like it keeps doing stuff to up the ante and kind of surprise you. Whereas Beast is kind of completely fine to just be what it is and not surprise you. It's just like the movie is what it says on the box, right? It's a guy fighting a lion to protect his kids. And like a lot of it is like a single location, like stuck in a car and there's a lion outside. And like that reminded me of Cujo, which I really enjoyed. Um, And yeah, so like I definitely really liked it and recommend it, but there's something about it being such a straightforward thing and just not, there was a moment early on, I'm not going to spoil it or anything, but there's a moment where Charlto is, says something that made me think there was like another situ like another beast or another lion or something. He says like, oh, I think it's using me as bait. And I just was like, Ooh, that means there's going to be like, Ooh, a bigger creature that's going to come out. <laughs> and I totally like was expecting that. And then that never just, just like never happens or anything like that. And again, that's me projecting onto it. What I thought yeah. was going to happen and didn't happen. So it's kind of another thing to be unfairly criticized. Um, but those are my weird little qualms with it. I, I really liked it still. I think it's like a on an Ebert rating scale. It's definitely a three out of four for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like me an em, yeah. An emphatic three out of four. And on the out of, out of the I don't, I don't need to get granular about out of five. It's a three for me, too. <laughs> but it's not that three and a half four that fall might have been because I really got into it. But there's I, I my my complaints are so bullshit. And like. I would also say it ends a little way, a little too conveniently for me. And like that, like stuck in my crawl when I was leaving, like, okay, it just kind of wraps up and like, a well, this is over sort of way. Yeah. It does kind of rush the, the ending, but I don't know where else it would go. Yeah, I don't know where, I don't know what I want from it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to. What do you have to say to my rambles? My rambling? I I mean, I know. I mean, I think you're, you're pretty spot on with it. I think there are a few surprises. I think the way that the characters from the introduction get reintroduced into oh, sure. the story makes it interesting. I think there's a little bit of detail that they hint about Charlton Copley's character that makes oh, sure. him a little bit more interesting. I think it has a a message about what humanity is doing to nature that oh, without yeah. hitting over the head, it feels it, there was um I was talking with a was a was a was another critic afterwards and I can't remember it's like endangered species or something and it's a similar sort of setup but it really hits you over the head with like the environmentalist yeah. message. This one it's just like this is what we're doing to nature and it's awful and it's going to yeah. literally bite us in the end. The movie goes pretty far out of its way to to be like hey, uh, not all lions are bad. Like, just this yeah. one is bad. <laughs> this particular lion lie. sucks and wants to kill everybody. But they explain it away, right? They go like, he was his pride, as you said, his pride was killed, and he's acting yeah. out. Yeah, and, to be fair, yeah. I kind of felt bad for the lion. And yeah. there's a moment, there's a really nice moment with a character that I will not reveal where the character in a very unlikely position has that same feeling towards the lion. And I really, I really appreciated that small detail of the character. Cause it's, there's some consistency there to him. If you, I think you might know what I'm talking about. Yeah, for but, sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the camera work and the fact we talked about a little bit, like the long takes we talked about this on my other horror show, 
but like yeah the fact that it's not like these quick cuts mm-hmm. and it's actually like you get to hang out in the the it, with the like you basically see what the characters see and that is a very effective move for this movie i think it's very well directed uh the guy behind me at the screening a critic i forget who it was but he when the when the title card or when the directed by came up and it said baltazar cormacar or whatever his name is he just goes loudly ah good director <laughs> and uh i love that so much and i'm gonna start doing it at all the movies i go to now depend i'm gonna grade the director as soon as they're their name comes up but i gotta agree i think he directed the fuck out of this movie in particular i've never this is definitely like the most i've liked a movie of his if you're unfamiliar with his repertoire it is everest adrift two guns and contraband and i think this is probably the best of those i i think everest is pretty good everest i remember liking but i think i also gave it like a that was one of the first movies i reviewed for business insider in 2015 and i'm trying to figure out what i said about it i think i gave it a three-star review um i don't know what i was annoyed by (laughs) but uh let's move on to the next movie after we give this one we both said it already three three yeah. yeah three out of four uh trademarked roger ebert thumbs copy written of course and not by us not by oh no we don't we know not copyright. the copyright holder that is that what we are saying no. it. speaking yeah. of copyright i don't know if anyone noticed last week's episode where we reviewed all the movies that uh came out including rogue agent got pulled for copyright even though it's a hundred percent fair use what we're doing this is criticism we're allowed to incorporate clips technically and we're like reviewing them and getting the clips and stuff from IFC, you know what I mean? So, like, we're in cahoots with them. So, there are so many reasons why they should not, YouTube should not have pulled our episode uh, last week. But if that ever happens, which hopefully it won't happen again, but you can always find the episodes on our podcast feeds. Those do not get taken off. But the YouTube claim was from somebody in Russia. It was in Russian, and it was a takedown request saying that they own the footage, which is horseshit because it's this is 90% us. And then, like, 10 yeah. seconds of trailer footage that is available on YouTube. So oh, that copyright sent me off on a tangent. But uh, here we go. Next movie we're talking about is, is it The Immaculate or The imma- Singular? The, the immaculate, immaculate Room. The Immaculate Room. Produced by Joel David Moore. And if you don't know who that is, give it a Google and you'll be delighted. Welcome. You have been chosen to spend 50 days in The Immaculate Room. And will win five million dollars by completing the task. Enjoy your stay in the immaculate room. It's like we're in a dream. It's a second chance for us, isn't it? We should just be grateful. That's it. it smells like nothing. So I guess this would be the master bedroom. Very white. This is your wake-up call. What do you think he's doing all this, Professor Voyam? All anyone knows about him is that he's got more money than God and that he's intrigued by the human condition. All right, Mark, what what is this movie? It's, um, I mean, it's set up pretty well in that. Yeah, that was a pretty thing. decent like, trailer set up. So it's Emile, Emile Hirsch and Kate Bosworth. They're a couple who are, you know, volunteer to go into this room. If they can stay in there for 60 days, they win $5 million. Um, yeah, that they is have the- no... Yeah, they have no television. They have no computer. They're not allowed cell phones. They're not allowed any personal items whatsoever. They got the clothes on their back, but even those get, you know, tossed into something and they wear something like scrubs for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, 
and that's that's basically the premise of it it sounds like something out of reality tv show and i know you sent me yes <laughs> you were you read my review and you sent me this thing like somebody kind of did something yes, along there's the some lines guy of this. on youtube his name is mr beast he's like one of the most popular youtubers he got a lot of headlines when he like recreated squid game whatever that means i don't watch squid game oh my god but he did something <laughs> he gave away a lot of money i don't know what happened but one of the things he did was make someone sit in a windowless room for like three weeks or something and filmed it and every day they made more money if they stayed uh oh, so our dystopian future is here just to say that go. um yeah. but this movie the first thing i thought is well this is a covid movie and Lo and behold, it was one of the first movies to be like greenlit in LA to be shot after COVID happened, which makes total sense. It's like a yeah. single location. Everyone's just in the, in a room thing. And this movie has such a ripe, fun premise for like a good Twilight Zone episode or like that type of like morality tale. But it just loses itself along the way, right? Like it basically is all set up and then the follow through is such horseshit. Like it just does nothing for me. I don't know how you felt about this movie, but for me, the it was the only thing that's impressive about it is that it feels like it plays out in real time, and that it feels like you're watching it for fifty days. <laughs> there's, there's, but then there's that weird montage where they speed up everything and go uh -huh. through the routines, and it, that felt counter to the entire point of feeling like you're stuck in this room with them this entire time. Yep. And I and the. The fact that it does that, you start to think, yeah, maybe it's going to bring up something about the fact that these bigger about the human condition of being stuck in a place with someone that in theory you, you know, love, but maybe there's some problems going on because there are a couple, but you later learn like there's these messages from outside. I think his sister calls in and you get the sense that maybe the two of them had broken up at some point. Mm -hmm. and they have just recently gotten back together and maybe this is the thing that's getting them back i it was it was a little confusing but then there's some very very specific character things that kind of come out of the blue like hirsch's character is dealing with like childhood drama trauma from a dead brother and she's dealing with embarrassment from her father who's gone through a lot and it's it just it, it yeah. starts to feel like all of this conflict is coming out of nowhere. It's literally coming from the outside. It's all external conflict. And there's plenty of stuff going on in that room, or at least there should be plenty of stuff going on in that room between the two of them. And so to pull out these other elements, like they have a gun come into the bathroom randomly. That really was annoying. Yeah. It made no sense. And then, I mean, without giving anything or too much away, at least yeah. there's another actor who shows up. Yeah, and that, that is when I was just like, okay, like this yeah. is just, it just seems like everything is piled on to like a general idea and like they didn't really like give any development to any of it. It was just like the, the rough sketch of like what a movie like this could be and like how it could like test a relationship, right? Like would your relationship yeah. survive something like this and like the things that would come up and all the like the past stuff that would come up and how like uh he's like a trust fund baby right and like she yeah. brings that up and like yeah all these like deep-seated things like i wanted more of like that biting cutting stuff right yeah that stuff that stuff that is already there between them that's more interesting and then the stuff that actually comes into play because they are stuck together that's more interesting than let's go all the way back to explain why these characters have these deep-seated issues it's not as 
it's like it, that yeah it's like they mistake what that is for character development yeah it's like no yeah. that, that yeah. doesn't not, do anything yeah. yeah the fact that she's embarrassed about her father is far less interesting than the fact that she is clearly jealous of other people around him or is insecure around him for a very specific reason that we don't quite ever get there's some reason that they separated at some point and we never really learn it we don't understand why they're back together why they're in this room it's just i don't know it just feels i there's there's a couple like underbaked yeah yeah there are a couple of good scenes i like this i like the stuff like when he gets the treat and he gets a crayon and he gets a draw all over the room that feels like a nice moment of yeah you know something it's something that at least shows you know there's more to this guy than the trauma and all of that stuff. And it's, it, that's a nice moment. I wish there was something more like that for her, but she's really trying to just hold out like, and not take anything yeah. that could help her through that. And I mean, and that says something about her as a character and it says something more about her as a character than, you know, throwing a gun in the bathroom and having a call from her dad who she's embarrassed by, you know, it's yeah, it was all, I mean, the performances are pretty good. Like I like Emil Hirsch mm-hmm. and I like Kate yeah. Bosworth. They're both good in it. But it's one of those just like completely underdeveloped indies that will like, you know, be seen by like 30 people and never talked about again. It's it's not very remarkable. I ever like I've, I've watched it this week and it's like already receded from my memory almost entirely, which, you know, that's never a good sign for rating the Immaculate Room on the Ebert scale. I think I'm going to have to go one and a half Ooh, out okay. of four for the Immaculate Room. I'm a little bit more generous. I'd give it two. Um, two. That's only a, half a star more generous. Yeah. Those, a, those half a stars really those, mean a lot. They are really four. important. Yeah. <laughs> They're very, very, very important. I mean, I'm saying that there's about half. a. I think there is about like half a decent movie in here. And there's a lot more promise that doesn't get paid off. You know what? It Did, did you see Vivarium? I did. Yeah. Did it, did it remind you of that as well? Um, no, because Vivarium felt a little more gimmicky than this. Because oh, sure. Vivarium's got all that other... What is it? like? It's not time travel, is it? I Wait, is it? God, I barely remember. All I, I know is it's like it's like a couple moving into a house type of thing, and it feels yeah. like a very domestic sci-fi situation exploited. That's, yeah. the way I rem- that's what I remember about it. I Jesse remember Eisenberg's that- in it, and uh, oh, what's her name? She's in Green Room. Uh, she has a funny name. Imogen Poots. Oh, yes. Good old Imogen. Good old Imogen. All right. Immaculate Room. We didn't love it. So if we're doing the see it, skip it, or stream it. (laughs) We're going to bring that in. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Uh, Well, Beast got to see it. And uh, Immaculate Room's got to skip it for me. Uh, I think I, I think mean, Mark is erring on the side of stream it, which probably, means rent it. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's like it's might be worth a look. It's yeah, yeah. I haven't figured out the calculus. A very of tepid recommendation. The Take, star rating to yeah. see it, stream it, skip it. I haven't figured out that <laughs> yeah. equation yet. Come on, I, I gave it to you on the air. <laughs> the star, whole, I know, I know. Whole twenty five minutes ago. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, let's go right into spin me round a movie that I think we're gonna agree on. Tuscan Grove has a program where they take all the top managers to Italy. Amber, pack your bags. What? You're going to Italy. I have a feeling you're going to fall in love. Okay, I was kind of thinking that too. Benvenuta, signorina. Ciao. Welcome, everyone. I would like to introduce our CEO, Nick Martucci. Ciao, amici. He's my assistant, Kat. I'm excited to get to know you a little better. 
Get dressed. Am I in trouble? What roles do love and affection play in your life? Where is this going? Mark, what is... That's my new setup. It's really, really, (laughs) really impressive stuff. What is Spin Me Round, an IFC film? It is about to be copyright strict on YouTube. <laughs> is what it is. Um, oh no, yeah, please they're, ta- they're taking please me don't. down. Oh. The Russian IFC guy is like all over it. He's all about that. But anyway, uh, so yeah, the setup is Allison Bree's the manager of a um, a very popular semi fast food Italian yeah, sit down restaurant. It's an Olive which, Garden joke. It's yeah. It's it's clearly it's clearly is. I mean. It's right from everything, throwing the food in the microwave. and It's pretty like, funny how the, like, the like, repeated shot of them putting the, like, Alfredo sauce on it from this bag after putting it out of the microwave. It's pretty disgusting, and I'm pretty sure accurate about how that I, food is prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it definitely has got to be. But it's still, you know, when you want that junk, it's it's there. Yeah. When you want <laughs> those endless... That. People are there for the endless uh, the soup, ed- soup and breadsticks, okay? They one up it, though. This one has endless pasta, That's which right. is, <laughs> does not feel like a smart business venture, but yeah. what do I know? Very silly movie with very silly sense of humor, including that type of stuff. I but talk about movies for a movie that's, week, so I don't get it. <laughs> for, <laughs> for a movie that's so silly, it isn't very funny. No, it's not. So she goes to Italy to learn um, about, like this exclusive thing for the chain restaurant and she meets a bunch of weird people and they kind of have adventures and then they kind of stop having adventures. Yeah. The adventures kind of stop cold and then the character disappears from the movie for no reason. (laughs) Yeah. So you got like, um, Zach Woods and Tim Heidecker as a couple of the weirdos and Molly Shannon, who's like, it seems really important. And then she disappears for a long time. Yeah. And then you get introduced to Alessandro Nivola, who's I love recently... him so much. Oh my god, he's really good in this. He's just well, he's, he's just... good in it. He's so good in everything. But yeah, yeah, he really elevates this because I just would watch him do anything. But for what were you going to say? He's famous from for me. He's famous for being Dicky in the many saints of newark which i think is a very underrated movie that's a good movie and that was exactly the one i was thinking of because that's right. what he's best known for i think it's yeah the Sopranos Be- before prequel. that i would say it was that very little scene riley stern's movie the art of self-defense which he's also oh, great right. in that's but right. i didn't love that. that movie but i think i would i need to rewatch it because i love him so much and he's so <laughs> yeah. good in it yeah but he's he's really he's just effortlessly charming in this like yeah you when she when he asks her out and he's talking to her on the yacht you're like yeah yeah i can see her yeah i get why people fall easily. for him yeah really easily but can understand that what do you think this movie's getting at because clearly no that's okay that's why i wanted to talk about it in this way because i didn't think i knew either and then like i wrote down my little notes of like what i think it was going for and this is before i saw the poster on letterbox which like exactly was like ticked my box of what i was saying i'm like this movie is like inverting like a romance novel or something Mm -hmm. like it's like taking a romance novel premise of like a woman going abroad and like finding the love of her life but like trying to be like sardonic about it in a way where it's like yeah she found a guy but of course she's being like gaslit by this rich man who is 
you know, doing this like kind of a, it's kind of like a serial. It's implied that he's like dating a lot of other women, right? And like, there's a lot more implied about him too. Which yeah, that actually gets like, really yeah, it gets really yeah. well, it gets completely off the rails, ludicrous in the third act in a way that I don't think works at all. No. But I think what it's going for, that's like what I was asking because I'm so I'm also kind of flummoxed by it. Like I did write down that it feels like it's like trying to parody the idea of like a romance set in Europe, like an American going to Europe type of thing. But it doesn't, it doesn't, that doesn't mean it succeeds at doing that at all. It's, it's because it's doing that, but it's also doing the other thing with the chain restaurant and yeah, it's the also doing very broad that. comedy stuff it's, with like characters that are very one note and have who, like the same joke. Like, geez, I love Molly Shannon. She's so good in everything, including here, which is pretty funny, but like, they give her one joke and she mm-hmm. does that one joke for the whole movie. And yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Really clingy. And then she loses her turns. luggage. Like that's yeah, her she, joke. Oh yeah. She loses <laughs> her luggage and then becomes like instant like, friends with Alison Bree's character and then gets overly clingy. And then as soon as Alison Bree's character disappears, yeah. then she starts to resent her because yeah. of the imagined friendship she has. See, the whole and, thing, I didn't even get in, like think about any of that. I was just like, her whole character to me was like, the joke is this is a woman who lost her baggage and now she like is getting a whole new personality basically by like getting all these becoming a new part like just dressing like this lavish person and like i don't know it's a pretty lame joke but yeah Yeah, it is i didn't really get anything out of most of this but it's at least a joke unlike you know zach woods and tim heidecker have like androgynous names and that's the joke yeah for their characters like well because i can't remember one's heidecker's is fran i think oh is it dana yeah, I don't Dana? remember. I don't, I don't remember know. either. But you think like, oh, that's kind of weird that they have those specific names. Like Fran is a very, I that's borderline androgynous and just yeah, you know, specifically gendered in my head. But maybe I'm not yeah. thinking. Oh no, Francis, the yeah. other Francis. But even then, it's like you don't. It's Frank, I just don't. Fran. Yeah. I didn't. But that's the joke. There's at least a payoff to that. Sure. But. It takes so long. It takes so long for all of these payoffs. That's the problem. Is it yeah. feel? It doesn't feel like it knows what it wants to do. No. In terms of the comedy or the story, even it's just sort of yeah. It's wandering a mess. around. It's a yeah. mess. It's like it an is. undeniably funny, funny and great cast. A mm-hmm. simple setup that's ripe for comedy, and yet it devolves into like such nonsense that. I can't really make any sense of it, really. It's just yeah. kind of, like I as I said, I was trying to be like parse it as like it's a romance novel, but inverted. Like the poster's clearly aping a romance novel. And that's yeah. why I was like, oh great. That's what it, it's exactly what it's going for. But if that's what you're going for, I don't think you nailed it at all. Like I it's just so completely meandering. Oh, because the other thing is we don't even get that much. I I've completely forgot there's Aubrey Plaza's character. I haven't she's even mentioned really her because yeah, she's, she's really good. She's shunted off in the third act entirely. And exactly. it, you, you think she's gonna be like a key player. Mm-hmm. Because she is a key player when if they're trying to do the romance the inverted romance novel, she's the key player there instead of Nivola's character who should be if they're doing yeah. the inverted yeah romance novel he should be the main character that entire time but instead they switch it over to plaza which is fine because she's very funny in this yeah despite she's always fact, great yeah. yeah she is i mean last week we had emily the criminal yeah and this is a completely different role and she's really good in this too and yeah you know. it's just this movie thinks it's really funny but it and it could be but it just definitely is not and 
it's just disappointing. There's a few funny moments, but there's like no closure to any of the interesting stuff. The only the the most interesting thing about this movie is like a trivia fact, which is that Pino Donaggio did the score to it, who is like this iconic composer who did like all the Brian De Palma movies. And I just happened to have watched this right after watching Carrie, which he also scored. And he doesn't do American movies anymore, or rarely anything. So it's an interesting get that they got Pino Donaggio. And I would say the score is notably the coolest part about it. I thought the <laughs> score was awesome. Uh, it doesn't fit the movie at all. It's a weird movie, man. I didn't see Horse Girl, which they also collaborated on. The director, Jeff Baena, and Alison Brie wrote it. Uh, didn't see that one, but I heard it was terrible. I did see The Little Hours and thought it was fine. Yeah, um, Little Hours was interesting. It's enough. like funny enough. It's I mean, at least than... you know the joke from the start. Yeah, that it's one. better than this movie, which like feels like it was half conceived or something went wrong here along the way. Like something, yeah. something got lost because the movie is just kind of flat in a way that is surprising. It, yeah. it just, yeah, it doesn't, it's shockingly messy, I guess would be my final note. I would give that um, one and a half out of four. I think we agree. One and a half for me too. On this, we agree. So it's yes. a, it's a, it's a skip it for both of us. It. Love it. All right. We've got, Another one coming up, another indie. This one all the way from Australia, I believe. This is The Drover's Wife, The Legend of Molly Johnson, based on a short story from the 1800s. All of my favorite films are. They need their mother. I love yous. Love you! Mama! Always with you. Welcome to Everton. Little more than you bargained for. Walking straight into a murder investigation. Six people dead. Probably a Narago man, sir. Are you a bad man then? I think I am. Yaraka of the Guguyimira. It is you. This is a movie that was not on my radar at all, and I'm sort of glad I watched it. I'm glad I watched it. It was pretty good. Uh, did you like it? And what did you? What did? What is it? Tell me about it, Jess, uh, uh, Mark. What is this movie? I'll do, this my, movie? I'll do my famous my famous setup. <laughs> Becoming infamous now. <laughs> yeah. you, keep, you keep pointing yeah. out. <laughs> you keep pointing out this is my setup now. <laughs> yeah, people are um, gonna get it in their heads. So. Um, the Drover's Life, colon, The Legend of Molly Johnson. I think it's being advertised as just The Legend of Molly Johnson, but okay. the full title is there. But Yeah, it's definitely know, a, in, a, 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 a mouthful. The it title is a card. mouthful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's um, written, directed, and starring uh, Leah Purcell, um, who plays the eponymous Molly Johnson, who is a woman of the outback, the bush up in, I think, northern Australia. And her husband, by the title, is a drover or a shepherd who's away. Um, and she has to defend the homestead from animals like a bull that shows up and potential invaders like the um, aboriginal, the indigenous man who shows up on her yard, essentially what, what it is of a yard, the dusty yard, um, and is wanted for the murder of a wealthy family in the nearby town. Um and that's kind of the setup, but it doesn't go the way you think it's going to go at all. 
because you think you have this character down and understand that she's just kind of playing the defender of the family while the husband's away. But then you start to learn a bit more about the husband from what's going on in town. There's a, there's another character. He's a local sergeant um, played by Sam Reed, who just shows up at her, at her house um, when they get, he and his wife get lost. Right. And so he, he goes into town and finds out about the murders and then starts to suspect that maybe the husband is, you know, up to something in town or something else is going on entirely. Um, and so you get this completely different. And I, Oh, I forgot to mention Molly is like nine months pregnant too at the start of the movie. Yeah. So you have all these, these kind of archetypes set up in this one person of just, you know, the tough woman. She's like, it it just, there's so much about Australian movies of this period that remind me of Westerns. And I don't, you know, I think that's kind of intentional. Yeah, like the exploitation also... type of shit. I don't know if this would yeah. even qualify as that. Well, like, it's a little th- understated. Go go back to like the proposition with Guy Pierce. That's a Love Western, it. but yeah. it's you know, it's set in the Australian outback, but it's a similar kind of mindset and mentality and um and environment too. It's just, you know, it's a hard land and only hard people survive on it. And she's one of those tough people. The question is, how tough is she really? And it's, it's interesting. It's, I, it's, it's, it has a couple of messages yeah. to get across. It I don't gets, know if you want to which, talk about some well, of those. I, sure. <laughs> I mean, what I ended up doing is like reading this sh- very short story that it's based on. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's very much just like a story about like a, a woman whose husband is gone fighting against n- nature to mm-hmm. keep her family alive. Like there's like a snake under the house is like the thing in the, in the book. That is like the whole thing. So she poured it over all the like whatever you want to call it intersectional feminist message and also like the aboriginal um, like the treatment of aboriginal characters and how the movie is an exploration of exploration of that uh, it reminded me of Ali and Ava in that way. <laughs> this is this week's Ali and Ava. It's an exploration of of race at a very specific time. Right. Um, yeah. And in that way this feels like a way more accessible and far less harrowing and grim and fucked up version of something like the nightingale. Did you see that? Oh, I love the nightingale. Yeah. I mean, as much as one can love it, it's a great, it's great film, a horrific movie to watch. Yes. It's like depicts rape in a very horrific and memorable way. And it's just this horrific movie that is about kind of these same things. Right. Am I wrong? Um, yeah, to a degree, I think. Yeah. Except I, the, yeah, there's a bit more about revenge and yeah, the Nightingale's got a, a little more meat on the bones, I guess. Revenge on a cultural level, almost. This one doesn't quite reach that extreme. Yeah. It's more like this isn't everything really, really, really hard, and this is how hard it gets for these characters because of their circumstances and who they are in this time and in this place. Yeah. Um. I yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff because you learn some things about Molly's past and her heritage and i don't know if all of that quite gels that felt very forced messaging to me where it's like oh by the way this is a part of your history too and think about that <laughs> like yeah like it's really just like it's like putting a hat on a hat or something you know what i mean it's yeah, like it's... this movie was already about these issues and exploring them you don't need to make it that personal or like and like that is something that that she added you know and like mm-hmm. um 
yeah, I just think it's. I don't want to. It sounds annoying to be like. I don't want to sound like one of those guys like this movie's too woke, and I don't, and then therefore it's bad. Like that's not what I'm saying. It's just I like mean, it gets so up. It's it. Could, it just it is kind of presenty in that way where it's like it wants to show you its its ideas. Yeah, it's more presentational in terms of what it wants to say. And I, I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna throw out the word woke, it's not. I don't think it's woke enough. Yeah, <laughs> I mean no. it, it, that ending is really. Oh, it's very it's grim. awkward. It's grim, and, but it's grim. But it also is trying to add this level. Oh, of, dude. Yes, but hey, guess what? It's it looks really bad now, but maybe in the future everything is yeah. Like that's not yeah. yeah. It's not. Quite I think I there. wrote in my little review that like the writing gets to be a bit much <laughs> towards the end <laughs> in a geez, we get it sort of way. What but, I didn't write yeah. in my review is the score is definitely a bit much. The piano yeah, score it's and not very a, good. There's a really grim scene, and I don't think the score matches it nope. at all. There's like yeah. this soft piano music going Awkward. on, almost romantic, and it does not fit that moment at yeah. all. Yeah, um, you know, it's one of those movies where it's like very well intentioned, and you can tell it's like mm-hmm. a labor of love for the person who made it. Like Leah Purcell adapted this from the short story, and like had had been doing it as a play before she made it this movie. Um, and yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean you should see it or anything. I, it's beautifully photographed as well. And the performances are all pretty good. But mm-hmm. I just didn't think I got much out of this. Like now that I'm thinking about it, like it's definitely like a two and a half out of four experience for me. <laughs> That's exactly where I'm at with it, too. It's like, yeah, it's just right. It's right in there. It's it, Yeah, I mean, it's it's close, but not quite. Yeah, something's off about it. It just like who needed an overly pacified version of the nightingale? Like I don't want that. Um, it, it, it's just the issues are baked into the story already, and they really underline everything anyway. It like does. It's just not that a well scripted of a movie or something. Something's off about it, but it's not horrible. It's no, a real definitely not. No, it's a real two and a half star. Yeah, uh, experience. So we're going to go to the documentary corner for a minute and then we'll resurface from there back to the mainstream movie den where we, we'll, we'll talk about uh, Orphan First Kill. I'm just making up terms as we go. Uh, here we go. A floresta, o rio, é nossa casa onde a gente se mantém. Apologies to the listeners who do not speak Portuguese who are listening to the podcast and had no idea what that trailer was about. Uh, but check us out on YouTube. That's why you got to watch the YouTube videos. Uh, this is a movie called The Territory. It is a documentary from National Geographic. And boy, did I need something to get enraged about. So am I glad this movie came along. Uh, Mark, what is... Mark? <laughs> <laughs> what is The Territory? The Territory is a documentary. Uh, it's set over a course of about four years um, in the rainforest of Brazil and in more um, 
industrialized areas, more more metropolitan areas too. Um, it's a conflict between this indigenous tribe that lives within the rainforest and they have their land protected by the government and farmers, independent farmers, small farmers, family farmers who are starting to become irritated that they don't have the opportunity to get land and they see the rainforest with all this land that's being protected and think, hey, if somebody came along and gave us an excuse to tear down those trees, we could use the land to farm. And then um, an election happens in 2018 and that politician uh, basically says that he doesn't want to protect the land anymore. Um, Bolsonaro is yep. the guy's name. And still, I think he's still there. He's still there. Um, he's had yeah. COVID like a hundred times, but he's still there. He's still there. And he keeps coming up in these Brazilian movies for, I think, pretty good reason, because there's something going on with that guy. That yeah, he's not, he's not called good. He's called the Trump of the tropics, if that yeah. means anything to anybody. But, um yeah, this is a, a lot of far right stuff. It's not not great. Yeah, this is a great documentary in that it really shows the real life horrors that are like directly the consequence of politics, right? Like mm -hmm. the that political action has real life effects on real human beings who give their lives for like shit like protecting the rainforest. And now Bolsonaro says, fuck the rainforest. Anyone who wants can go take whatever they want from it. And then there's groups that form. There's like a whole association of farmers who claim that the land is theirs for no reason other than why not? This is our land. The land is the land. We can take what we want. And then there's like solo guys who run around. What's interesting about this documentary, I think, is that it presents all sides of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like and not in like an American both sidesy way where yeah, it's not like, like that. No, where it's no. like mm, there's good points here on both sides. It really is an unflinching like the movie is definitely you know anti the rainforest getting fucked up. I would say like it definitely is centered around the the, the tribe that is being decimated. Uh, but it also presents the people who don't give a fuck about those people and want the land for themselves. And it doesn't present them in a way that like stigmatizes them. I would say it presents them in a way where like, yeah, they think they have, they think it, they think that their thinking is correct. Yeah. They and, think that they think that they deserve to have a chance. Like all the farmers that they've been working for, like a lot of them work farms, they've worked other people's farms and yes. they want a farm of their own. Yes. It makes sense. I mean, it, it's yeah. yeah. So that's why, you know, these are tough issues and, um, it's it's a it's a horrifying movie. You see a, a character like this is a rare documentary where like you're following a character and they die. <laughs> uh, I I like I can't think of another one. Or maybe I'm sure if you think you could think of some, but it, it's it's striking to me in that you know cameras were there for a very specific moment. It's as if they knew that this was coming and they could predict. You know they saw the, the writing on the wall that the right wing government was going to get even more lenient and they got cameras and they filmed all this shit. And you see the real life impact and it's, it's infuriating, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It is. Um, the, I think there's, if there's a little, if there's a flaw with it and it was enough sure. of it for me to notice it, it's that it feels as if the, um, hold on, the Uruwawa people, yeah. the, they are a little bit pushed off to the sidelines, even yeah. in their own story until, the third act when they they mobilize to stop everything but until then you have this local um worker for a nonprofit organization who's been doing work for 40 years and i i think her story takes over as 
a representative for the tribe and it it's she she's you know she's passionate obviously it's important to hear and see somebody actually working when the government isn't because she keeps calling the local indigenous affairs office and they are they they either don't answer or they yeah. say there's nothing we can do because we don't have the resources the government is holding us from doing it um yeah it, so she's an important part of it but it, she's not the most important part of it and i I kind of wish that there was a sure. bit more time spent with the people who are actually being directly affected by this when it becomes about them in, in the third act, when it skips ahead a couple of years to. Yeah. Well, like, um, yeah. Then you see how yeah. COVID affected them. Oh, and it's like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Like if yeah. COVID got into this tribe, they'd be, they'd be, it'd be a genocide. It'd be, yeah. there's, there are fewer than 200 people when, when it's, when the movie starts. Um, and yeah, if it, there had been, you know, if someone had caught COVID, like even just, you know, a couple percentage, you know, of less than 200. That's, that's yeah, almost every everybody. person is like it's, a percentage point at that point. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. going to change everything. Um, yeah. It's harrowing that, stuff, man. Mm -hmm. What were you going to yeah. say? Yeah. That's it. I was just going to say, I think when it, 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 when it actually does focus on them and what they're doing directly, like they're, they're not just patrolling the forest with bows and arrows. They're using the media to get the story out there. And this is part of it obviously this is part of it because yes. the footage is the stuff that they shot and that's effective. Yes. Um, and it feels like the story is really just starting as the movie is ending. If I have to say there's a bit of a shortcoming to it, sure. it's that for me. Sure. That's totally fair. Uh, yeah. I always have trouble criticizing documentaries, but sometimes they pop out what the issues are. And that was a, that that's all very fair. Um, yeah, this is a, I would say it's an important movie. And you should, if you're into this type of, what would you call this? An, uh, like an issue documentary? Like, a, well, it's, I mean, it is about the people though, too. So, it's, yeah. you know, it's about an issue, but it is the very human side of yes. this issue. It, it's yes. And like you said, it shows both sides, but it, it clearly is on the side. Yes. Of you know what side it's on. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't dismiss the concerns of yeah. the other side. And that's. Yeah because yeah that's it, it's, it's a humanistic drama of going on in between this issue movie so yeah it's like a it's a movie that could be a call to action for people who didn't know about it and yeah uh, yeah devastation of amazon deforestation harmful invasion of the indigenous land it's all bad stuff yeah. um and the movie depicts it in a way that is compelling so yeah. three out of four roger ebert trademark thumbs for me same complete agreement three wow. out of four for me too this is incredible man i thought you were going to go higher on that one yeah so. i mean i agree it's not like the best thing i've ever seen but yeah. and it's like hard to recommend things like this but like i definitely felt like i got something out of it i was like yeah i learned something i mean of course i knew this was happening because i keep up with the news i work in the news but it's always you know it's different when you see it happening yeah. to mm -hmm. people and you like meet a character who dies fighting for the cause and it's like yeah. damn okay this is real shit um all right. And uh, keeping on that documentary beat, this is a very interesting and compelling documentary that's kind of unlike any other doc I've ever seen. It's more like a film archivist uh, exhibit almost. Like, I, 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 you'd prob you probably are going to be able to experience this at a museum one day if you can't already. Uh, here is the trailer for Three Minutes A Lengthening. These three minutes of life were taken out of the flow of time. When I discovered my grandfather's film, all I could do was to piece together the few fragments that remained. 
I had to look at the world around the images to find a survivor. I recognized myself immediately in that smile. There were a lot of people, the whole city. It was like a magic moment. I'm not sure if you get exactly what the movie is from that trailer, so I'll try to describe it. It's someone found three minutes of footage from like Holocaust times, and they basically use that footage they basically have this footage they had no context for it right they had no idea who was in it what it showed and they like this documentary just shows you that same three minutes over and over and parses it and by the end of the documentary you feel like you know all the people in it and their stories it's kind of this like experimental dissection of video footage and like what video footage means and like how you use it and how it can be used. It's like definitely like a a moving experience to watch and also makes you feel like um just like the power of of the image if that it makes any sense, like the power of filmmaking itself because like this movie what I found so interesting is they're starting by talking about, like, okay, so what is this footage, right? Like at first, he's just shooting all these buildings with the camera and there's all these kids clamoring in the shot and all these people waving and stuff. And you're trying to contextualize this. You're like, what is this? And they go into it, right? And they go, well, if you think of the time, this would have been crazy for someone to have a camera. Like it's very early to have a camera. So this is interesting. Uh, so he, the fact that this guy has a camera, you can see he's like trying to film the buildings, but like all these kids are trying, like waving at him, trying to get in the shot, right? And like, so he ends up filming like this crowd of kids and like just watching them dissect this footage. And like, it, if it's like a mystery unraveling, right? Like they're kind of solving this mystery. And it's like very emotional, obviously, because it's people like recognizing their relatives who were killed in the Holocaust in this footage and stuff. And it's really impressive stuff. Um, and I found it, uh, transfixing but i I know it's not going to be for everybody it's very like i don't know if dense is the right word i mean it is what it is it's three minutes presented over and over again uh it's only like an hour and 10 minutes long though and uh it's definitely like i would say a must-see for anyone who cares about film or studying film history and stuff like that but i think it's more it's also like a meditation on the historical significance of, of 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 filmmaking and using a camera I, I don't know. It's getting really heady, but I found it to be unusual and compelling. I quite liked it. Yeah, I was, I, it, yeah, it just lives inside those three minutes or so of film. It just, it's just there the entire time. Um, you'll have, you know, frames frozen, um, zoom in on these things. There's this really, really haunting moment where, um, some some narrator i think historians read through what happened to the oh, town when yeah when the nazis showed up yeah and the camera just zooms in on the single frame of the town square and it just keeps moving in and in and in until there's nothing left of anything recognizable yeah. human or construction wise or anything it's just nothingness as you're hearing the story of what happened from two different perspectives both of them are horrible and one of them even with the horror of the official version 
the reality of it even is worse than that. It's, it's, it's hard to grapple. Like that at the time when these people were writing this down, like the official account of what happened is still like just awful. So when yeah. you hear the actual thing of what happened, where it's not just people being whipped into the, into the synagogue and then to the trains, it's like just people being shot just in the street for yeah. no reason. It's like, um, yeah, it's her. Yeah. It's, 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 it's horrifying, but it, it, it gets the fact that you are just inside this footage the entire time makes it a lot more powerful than it could have been. And it also oh, yeah. does, it does limit it. It does limit sure. the story, but it limits it in a way that I think is important to explaining why the footage is so important and why it is important to try to even understand like who these people are like they they try to figure out names they can't find names of people obviously because most of them are dead yeah either they died you know eight eight decades ago or they died you know recently recently if they survived um and then you have the problem of you know the footage is kind of deteriorated so there's like a shop that they try to dissect it it's it is fascinating because it is like detective work Yes. Um, and using and, the film yeah. itself as like as detective work. So they're trying to figure out this the name that would be on the store and they turn it into a kind of a puzzle. This linguist is turning into a puzzle like this shape kind of looks like this. But the shadow of this letter yeah, looks a lot it, like, like it's like forensics. It's like you're yeah. watching forensic files and they're solving a murder, except they're, it, it, it's that type of scrutiny. But for a film. Yeah. And that is cool like i'm i'm obsessed with the forensic files tv show so the fact that someone's forensic filing a movie clip to figure out like the fact that they got what they got out of it you know what i mean mm-hmm. like you you're right that it's limiting but it is also mind blowing to think that like from this 3 minute clip we got this entire movie that does tell a story yeah. and it mm-hmm. it is like miraculous and i'm and just kind of amazed by it um it's definitely not a traditional thing. It's very experimental. And as I said, doesn't it feel like you something you'd like walk through a Holocaust museum and like stop and watch? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. It, mm-hmm. And I feel like it well, will the, be that the film was restored by the United States Holocaust yes. Memorial museum. So that's it's, right. You know, it's there. Um, at least the footage is there and it's, you know, I assume they'll, they'll do some sort of exhibit maybe to with this specifically if the movie is, you know, gets any kind of recognition. Yeah. But we might get some expanded stuff. Um, from there, we might get some more, um, in terms of film, if more things, if more information is uncovered, because I don't know how many people know about this footage existing even. Yeah. Um, and so there could be people who don't know and might know, might recognize a face somehow in this. I don't know. It's like, it definitely feels like they're going to get that this movie, you know, makes a stir in any way. If it gets like an Oscar nod or something like people will jump out. Cause there are so many questions. Yeah. There's so many yeah. questions at the end of this and it's not, and that's not, that's not a criticism at all. It's just, that's just the nature of this. And that, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a haunting yeah. thing. I think Brian Tallarico of RogerEbert.com said it was like watching ghosts. And I'm like, yeah, that is a great description of it. It's a haunting movie. Uh, three and a half out of four for me on the Roger um, Ebert trademark thumb scale. A very strong three for me. There we go. I'll allow it. All right. We're going to go. Uh, right into the last movie, which I covered extensively on the New Flesh podcast, which is out on Monday. If you want even more on the Orphan uh, Part 2, Orphan First Kill, Orphan the prequel. Uh, but here we go. We're going to talk about it. I'm very excited to talk about it with Mark for a very specific reason. And that is Mark did not like Orphan, but Mark 
do like Orphan 2. And that is very interesting. So we're going to get into all that. Here we go. What is he doing here? We found your daughter. She's alive. Be prepared for changes. We have a child therapist that she'll be working with. Four years is a long time. What she needs right now is our family. Mister? Sweetheart, it's mommy. Welcome home, Esther. We left it just as it was. It's lovely to be back. I miss my family very much. Our goal here is helping Esther acclimate back into life within the family unit. Sorry. <laughs> That's, that was some good stoppage right there. That was yeah, I really point. tried. I tried very hard to nail that. I think we did. Um, Mark. Yeah. What's Orphan First Kill about? Or wait, I said it wrong. What is Orphan First Kill? Uh, Orphan First Kill is a uh, long belated prequel. I don't know if anybody wanted a prequel to this. I didn't want a prequel to that. I hated Orphan. I hated it. I thought it was ridiculous. I thought it was silly. I thought it was over the top. It is ridiculous. It is silly. It is over the top. And that's why it. it rules. I get it. I get that. That's why people like it. To me, it is just an absolute mess of trying to be. I don't even know what it's trying to be. I think it's trying to be scary and it just comes off funny because it's playing off of the idea that this kid is so the epitome beyond belief of the bad seed. And that did not work for me because it just felt utterly ridiculous. Okay. I'm assuming you haven't watched it since 2009. No, I I did rewatch it. Oh, no. Okay. I did rewatch it. All right. What I will say is I slightly hated it less. Okay. Because I watched it and I know what's coming. Yes. And I know what's, but I also, in retrospect, watching it then, you start to feel a little bit uncomfortable to a different degree. Oh, yeah. Yes. Because you have an actual child going through a lot of stuff that, is technically going on by an adult. That's why Obviously, I love that movie. It's so oh. delightfully trashy. It puts an ch- actual child in that role and has her do fucked up shit. That movie's constantly putting putting the children characters in peril. It's a very mean movie. And it's crazy that a studio made it because it's very audience unfriendly. At the same time, yeah. it did very well and people liked it. Um, yeah, I don't understand. I know people yeah. who liked it and a lot of people who like it for like the campy uh, or just comedic, either intentional or not, factor of it. I hated it. That's it. So, Orphan First Kill was not high on my list of things I was looking forward to. Um, but what I will say is that now, Isabel Furman, who plays Esther, or Esther in it, I did air quotes. Her name is right <laughs> there alongside Freddy, Jason, yeah. Chucky, Esther. She's not a horror like icon. <laughs> I just met. That's not technically her name. Now we learn her real it's name. Lena. It's Lena, who is actually like a thirty-year-old woman yes. and thirty-one-year-old Estonian mental patient. Dwarf. Correct. Correct. Who stopped developing at the age of ten and now looks like a ten-year-old child the entire time. So anyway, Isabel Furman's now an adult. She's great in this, and I she's think twenty-five. Under- to be she's- clear, she's twenty-five, playing yeah. a ten-year-old in this movie. No, she's twenty five oh, yeah, playing. She's twenty five playing a thirty one year old who looks like a ten year old. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> it's very complicated. It's very yes. 
But essentially, like she even said in an interview, like it's I've looked it up and stuff. It's like his, it's like film history stuff here that she is re- a child is returning to the role they originated. And like, yes, that happens, right? But it mm-hmm. never happens when in the in the way where it's in like reverse. in reverse, we're like, yes, you're returning to the role, but you're still 13 or 10 or whatever it is. Yeah, and you're you technic- have to she's technically role. younger in this yes, movie. She's even technically she's younger than she like was it. the first time. Not supposed she- to look like it, which kind of helps the movie a little bit because yeah. like you're you're it's playing with that idea yeah. but the movie also does a bunch of like practical tricks to make it work and like people are wearing platform shoes and and it's all in camera and i'm sure she's yeah. walking on her knees at multiple points i yep. think they have a couple probably a couple body doubles there's some doubles yep. yep yeah and it's it's obvious but you know what? who cares it's who obvious cares? but it's fun this movie's campy it's fine yeah who yeah. cares? And 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 she is really good. And I think being an adult, she has a better understanding. I'm not saying as a child she was bad. I'm just saying as an adult, she clearly has a more mature and better understanding of who this character is, what this character is trying to do, and can kind of tap into that manipulative quality and also sort of give us a little bit of sympathy for her to an extent, which comes as a surprise. Yes. And that's because, oh man, no, I can't, I can't talk too much. No, we can't talk about it. It's tough. It's tough. If you want the full spoiler, go to the new flesh podcast on Monday. We did, we did do it. Yeah. So what I'll say is it starts off feeling like kind of a rehash of the first movie, but I felt more comfortable with it because I know the, the secret of this character right up front and the movie tells you right up front too. So if somehow you haven't seen Orphan. Oh yeah, you get a nice monologue of like a Dr. Loomis type figure yeah, to her Michael Myers and he's like, like the, she's a she's he explains everything and says not only is she evil or whatever but she's a expert con woman and she uses yeah. her disability to her advantage. Like we psycho, know, we've seen it's, Orphan. <laughs> it's a psychoanalyst from Psycho but at the beginning yes, of the movie instead yes, of the end. They flip it, yeah. And it works because now you understand who this character is and what she's going to do. And it feels not as creepy but it also feels creepy in a completely different well, way because yeah. you are following along with the thought process of this person who is a master manipulator, who is going to pretend to be a likely dead child yes. in order to have a comfortable life in yeah. the United States. And that works because you understand what the character is doing and it's not playing games with you about it. And that's what's be- that's what I love about this movie. I genuinely love it. I think it's great. Um, I love that it lulls you into thinking it is a pretty standard prequel retread, right? Like it sets mm-hmm. everything up where it's just going to be like, well, she's going to a family. You know what happens now. And then it delightfully pulls the rug out from under that premise like an hour in. And like there's mm-hmm. still 40, what, five minutes left or whatever it is. And the movie gets to have a n- whole new type of fun in the last 45 minutes. I don't want to spoil anything at all, but it becomes like a cat and mouse spy versus spy tom and jerry-esque comedy to me of like yeah, horror proportions yeah. yeah it's like a class comedy with a comedy of errors mixed with like this really demented comedy about like just people being awful to each other and how bad they can get and it it works i yeah i, don't I know love I, that you liked it going in thinking that you probably were not i would imagine yeah yeah, yeah i really enjoyed it and i was not expecting to at all because i have you know an obvious bias against the material in theory but no it works um yeah for I exactly agree. it works because it tells you exactly what it's going to do and then when it does something else completely 
it still tells you what it's going to do, yes. but you have no clue how it's going to work out. You have no and, idea how it's going to resolve. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really, it's just really clever to have a twist in the movie. Cause like we're all expecting it because the first movie is so the twist is such an operative thing about it. Like mm-hmm. without the twist, what is orphan? It's like nothing. So this one, it kind of lulls you into thinking, Nope, there's no twist here. It just is what it is. Of course you still want to watch it, orphan movie where she's just killing another family. But then it does have a twist. And I, I think the twist is very satisfying. And what else do I want to say about the movie that doesn't give anything away? I will say that Julia Stiles gives a performance of the likes of which we haven't seen from her. And she really shines in the role. And I don't... I, on the New Flesh podcast, I recite some of my favorite lines from her in this movie. And she really gets... Oh, there's going to be some good ones there. There's yeah. so many funny ones. She... It's weird that I keep saying how funny it is, but like it's it's that vein of comedy that you want from a horror movie where it's like, oh, yes, this is a horror movie for sure. It's definitely a horror movie with a horror premise and it is a th- horror movie through and through. It's got the gore and all the stuff you want and the kills. But man, it's campy as fuck and it knows it and it knows what people are there for and it knows it's just a bummer that it's going to Paramount Plus because to me, this movie would play gangbusters in a theater full of people who are fans of the movie. Uh, I, I I'm excited to go see it in the theater and hopefully experience that. Hopefully people are seeing it. Yeah. But and if and if you didn't like Orphan or if you don't know much about Orphan or whatever, I mean I yeah, I was not expecting You're right that it does much of this and Yeah, I know you didn't even you didn't like Orphan, but even if you haven't seen Orphan, this movie does explain it to the point of like you'll get it. It's fine. Oh and yeah. you could you could watch Orphan afterwards and it would be satisfying. Yeah, and at least um, Orphan will feel a little from my perspective, it'll yeah. feel a little more comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Orphan is like this really thorny movie about like parental anxiety and like being in a relationship where you're being gaslit kind of like that Esther's gaslighting her the whole time and everyone around her is believing it because like this mom had like an alcoholic incident one time and it's like haunting her and now it's she's it's being exploited it's I think it's a very interesting movie and I, I watched it again and it held up I thought so uh Mark and I got to start getting more catty about this. We have to start fighting more. We got to be Cisco I mean, and Ebert. We, we could do a retrospective of Orphan and then we'll see how that Yeah, goes. maybe. If, <laughs> if there's enough Patreon subscribers, maybe we should. I did a Patreon on the original Orphan on the New Flesh podcast this week, which is out now as well. Just constant plugs. Speaking of plugs, I think that's the end of the episode. I'm going to so. rate. I'm going to rate. Oh, man. I'm going to go three and a half stars out of four for Ooh, Orphan. Wow. I really liked it. I have to give it the bump. Uh, one thing that we haven't mentioned because I'm not sure if it's fair to mention yet because the movie hasn't premiered and I can't parse this. The movie looks like it has motion smoothing turned on. The movie looks like it has soap opera effect. The weird thing that you get on a hotel TV or your parents or your in-laws TV where they the frame rate's all fucked up because that's how TVs are made now. The movie, for some reason, had this effect on the screener and... Everyone I've talked to has had the same experience. I think you did too. Yeah, I did too. Uh, it looks but... weird. And I'm not sure. I've, I've argued with Paramount about it for like two weeks about if it's an error or not. And it, it's either an error that is, you know, an error and it's, it's not worth talking about or criticizing, or it's a deliberate choice that is like, that takes the movie from being like cheap to being like detrimentally cheap. And like, mm. it, something is wrong here. It looks bad. It was shot weird. 
but if you watch the if we watch the trailer it looks trailer, fine right it looks fine so i think it's i think it's just all a, right i think fingers it's a technical crossed issue. fingers crossed the technical issue but we did talk yeah. about it for a good 20 minutes on the other yeah. podcast it because a lot of critics had seeped into their reviews because how could it not they're like this yeah, movie I, looks weird <laughs> i i stopped yeah. i stopped noticing it i did notice it was weird and i stopped noticing because i got just caught up in yeah no the movie's the good do, and that's so. what we were parsing on the new flesh was like it's hard to talk about if if that is. is a way it looks because I'm like I want to say it's well directed. I thought it like was staged and shot very well, but at the same time, if that effect is real and that is a choice that somebody made, it's bad. But I don't think it is. So I don't think uh, it is either. But yeah. and it was yeah. I mean, I mean, what do you? I mean, that's a whole other discussion about screeners and how they can really mess up the intentions. Yeah, of the it's the filmmaker. first time I've actually had this particular problem. It's very strange. Yeah, and like that's a weird one. The classic IT department bullshit where Paramount has no idea what I'm talking about. I'm like, just show the movie to the director and he will tell you that it looks yeah. wrong. <laughs> like I don't know how to explain this to you better. But yeah. uh three out of four for you, right? Yeah, three out of four for me. I'm yeah, another it's it's strong three out of four. I mean I would yeah. I love that for you. If I had been able what to did you give Orphan? Again? One. What did you give Orphan back? I would have given it one. I didn't okay. I didn't actually review it back in the day, but I would have given I'm it surprised. one. I'm surprised. So. Okay. Yeah. Um all right. Well, that has been an episode where we've reviewed seven movies actually, not six. I said six up top, but it turns out it was seven. I don't know which one I lost in there, but there's <laughs> we talked about seven and the proof is in the pudding. Uh and the pudding is the show. And I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Mark <laughs> uh markreviewsmovies.com Yep. At Mark Reviews on Twitter. Yep. Um, um, what else? Mark Dusick on Letterbox. D U J S I K. Mark Dusick on Patreon. Um, and yeah, that's that's awesome. those are my plugs. All right, and we'll be back hopefully next week if uh, if Mark's around with an episode on whatever movies I got access to. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what it'll be? All right, bye everybody. The show starts in one...
think I can go on. Uh, Jalen, sir. Shut up. Ush.